Morning church, picture the scene. It is that very first Easter Sunday, or the day we now know is Easter Sunday. On the Friday, Jesus Christ has been crucified, buried. Saturday, the Jewish Sabbath is now over. And so first thing Sunday morning, some of Jesus' friends are able to go to his tomb and to really try and just rescue one last vestige of honour and dignity for Jesus by ensuring that he was properly buried under Jewish custom. And as they make their way, that dawn of Sunday morning, imagine their amazement, imagine their horror when they see that the temple, sorry, the tombstone has been rolled away. They look inside the tomb, they see nothing there. It's empty, save for just some burial clothes that have been folded and left very neatly. They're horrified, they're amazed, they're confused. The, 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 the male friends, the disciples, Peter and John, they run back to tell the others what's happened. And they leave just one woman there. Her name is Mary Magdalene. And we're going to pick up the story as John, the same John, would tell it to us in John's Gospel and chapter 20 and verse 11. Please do be reading these words aloud where you are, in your room, whether you're on your own or with other people. Uh, they'll be on the screen if you haven't got your Bibles with you. We'd love you to participate and read these words aloud with me. Verse 11. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they've taken away my Lord. I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned round and saw Jesus standing. But she didn't know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you laid him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him, Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he has said these things to her. This is the word of God. Picture now another scene. It's a cold, frosty morning again. or Not again, it's a cold, frosty morning in Washington in 2007 at Washington Metro Station. And hundreds, thousands of busy commuters are going about their business as usual. And almost as usual, one busker begins to unpack his things at 7.45 in the morning. And he begins to play. He begins to play the violin. And for 43 minutes, he plays six classical pieces. During that time, 1,097 commuters rush on by, of whom seven stop to listen. He makes uh, $52 in tips, which you might think is not a bad 45 minutes work for a busker. However, this violinist, this uh, busker, was no ordinary busker. His name uh, was Joshua Bell. He was and is one of the most famous, most outstanding concert violinists in the world. Just three days before, uh, he had been playing at Boston's Stately Symphony Hall, where people had paid up to $100 a seat to listen to him. And he was playing a violin 
thought to be worth around about three and a half million dollars. And this experiment was just that. It was an experiment conducted uh, to discover whether people would notice and stop to enjoy beauty, even in very unpromising or incongruous surroundings. It's a fascinating experiment. Just seven people stopped amongst the 1,097 to hear what turned out to be some of the finest music ever written and some of the finest music ever played. Why did so many people miss it? Why did so many people miss a remarkable opportunity to enjoy music played at that level? I guess busyness, they didn't expect to see it, it's not what they were used to seeing. See, Mary Magdalene could have rushed on, just like those busy commuters. She could have rushed back, just like Peter and John did, full of questions and confusion. She could have done exactly what they did, and had she done so, she would have missed the incredible beauty and splendour and majesty and magnificence that she encountered. She assumed the grave had been robbed, the body stolen. She was grief-stricken. She could have just turned away and gone back. But verse 11 tells us she stooped to look into the tomb. She looked into the tomb. And because she did so, everything changed. Her whole world changed. So my question this morning is this Easter Sunday, will you, for the very first time perhaps, or for a fresh time, will you stoop or stop and look into the tomb? Will you look into the tomb with me as we open up this passage and receive what God would show you about the resurrected Jesus as you as it were look into the empty tomb I want you to be prepared for, for God to speak to you and to show him to show you what is the resurrected Jesus like this Easter Sunday first of all we see if we look into the tomb we see that God in Jesus is compassionate we have a compassionate God. Now, you, don't, you, don't, you don't need me to tell you that this Easter Sunday we as Christians are celebrating amongst, amidst the backdrop of great, great sadness in our, in our nation and across our world. You can't turn on your newsfeed without seeing the latest updates of the coronavirus death toll. Just this week, some of you would have heard of the very sad passing of a, a doctor at our very own Kingston Hospital. And we're, we're grieved by these things, whether we know people directly or we just hear of these things. We're grieved by such news, even though, and we're shocked by it, even though death is such, is an absolute certainty. Death and taxes, they say, the two things you know are going to come your way. And this doctor, Dr. Anton Sebastian Pile, he was 70 years old, passed away from coronavirus, contracted in the hospital in which he was serving. And none of us, I don't think, are saying, well, he was 70, good, good innings, life well lived. Survival of the fittest, I suppose, if you're 70, well, there it is. None of us are saying that. We're, we're all, I think, feeling, when you see that news story, especially in our own borough and town hospital, we're feeling like this should not be. When death comes, we all have, I think, that sense of this should not be. And it's in that context that Mary looks into the tomb. She's weeping. She's weeping with grief. The grief that perhaps only death can bring. The horror of death. The imposition of death. And as she does so, she stops 
She doesn't rush on or rush back. She stoops, she stops to look into the tomb and she encounters the compassion of God in Christ. She doesn't, she doesn't recognise him at first. She's not expecting to ever see him again. Why would she recognise him? And he speaks to her. Did you notice? He speaks to her so gently, so compassionately. He asks her why she feels as, as she does. She, he, he lets her express her confusion and her anger at what she thinks may have happened. How great is the compassion of Jesus in those moments? He doesn't say, ta-da! He lets her express and process who she is and what she's going through. Time, this is not a one-off. You look at the gospel account of Jesus' life and time and time again, we see that when Jesus encounters uh, sickness or demon possession or confused crowds or death, we're told that compassion moves him. So much so that the great 19th century English preacher, Charles Spurgeon, said, if you would sum up the whole character of Christ in reference to ourselves, it might be gathered into this one sentence. He was moved with compassion, which is a, a, a Bible sentence that's often written about Jesus. And many of us are are sad or grieved this morning by what we are hearing about or even experiencing. Maybe some of you have, have actually lost people that you know and love to coronavirus. Maybe some of you are, are working in hospitals and seeing some of these things firsthand. Maybe it's just a, a more general sense of sadness at what is taking place in our land, at the rising death toll across not just our nation but across the world that perhaps is, is peaking, peaking and we we hope and pray, at least plateauing this weekend. Maybe you're saddened by the increase in, in uh, domestic violence. Or that sense of just being increasingly isolated from friends and family. Maybe you're saddened by children who don't know how to process this. Many of us, I think, will be carrying some degree of grief in different ways this morning. We might be weeping like Mary, or even feel like doing so. I want to say to you, don't rush on by this Easter Sunday. Don't miss the, as it were, the beautiful music that is playing and the beautiful musician that is playing it as you look into the tomb this Easter Sunday. Look up and see a risen Saviour who is moved with compassion for you. He knows, he cares, he's with you. That's why he went to the cross in the first place why good friday happened because jesus was so moved with compassion for he so loved the world that he came and he went to the cross that he endured the cross to rescue you from the punishment that your sin deserves to redeem you from its grip to heal you of its shame to conquer death with death because compassion moved him to do that for you so whatever the answer is to the suffering that many are experiencing at the moment the answer cannot be that God doesn't care. Good Friday, the cross, tells us that he cares deeply, that we encounter a risen God who is moved with compassion. The second thing we see about God in Christ as we look into the tomb is that Jesus is deeply personal. He's compassionate and he's deeply, God is deeply personal. Everything changes. Did you notice that? The moment at which Jesus uh, moves from calling Mary woman to calling her Mary is the moment everything changes. The light bulb comes on. To be known 
personally known is something which our hearts cry out for, we long for. Let me just tell you one little story. Just before Christmas, we had a, a little baby boy, Jack, was born. Uh, and a week or two weeks after he was born, we had the amazing privilege in our little home of being visited by the Duchess of Cambridge, by Kate Middleton. She came to our home. She wanted to accompany some midwives in Kingston to see what they were doing as part of the, the work that she's doing. So we had this kind of remarkable experience uh, as I opened our flat door one morning to see Duchess of Cambridge standing right there. And of course, I'm sure like me, if you had that experience, you don't quite know what to say. You're, you're taken aback. We knew that someone was coming. We weren't sure that it was her that was coming. We didn't, what do you say? What do you do? And it was interesting that once she'd come through the door and came into the living room, I remember she said words along the lines of, Hi, Philip and Caroline. My name's Catherine. And just in that moment of being known, obviously she didn't know much about us, but she used our names. It felt like we were known, at least to an extent. She used her name and we could know her. It felt like everything shifted from this very formal, quite scary thing of this celebrity person, this royal person, and just little old us. And suddenly it was Catherine, and it was Philip and Caroline. And let me tell you about our son, Jack. To be called by name is such a powerful thing. That's exactly what Jesus does for Mary. And when he does call her by name, everything changes. Revelation comes. Faith comes. Understanding comes. Joy comes because she's known. And this is Mary Magdalene, remember? Who's Mary Magdalene? Well, look at in Luke chapter 8 and verse 2. Jesus first met this woman when she was a demon-possessed woman. She must have been ravaged. Who knows what that experience was like for her, but she would have been ravaged by the enemy's grip upon her. Her mind was unsound. She perhaps would have been physically harming herself or others, shouting, hearing voices. We don't know. Utterly ravaged. Not a pillar of the community. Not a respected person that you might expect the saviour of the world to draw close to and one day commissioned to be the very first one to tell people about him. But it is. It's her. Jesus knows everything about her including her past, her brokenness and her shame. He doesn't only heal her of it and save her from it. He then commissions her to tell others about him, the one who saved her and knows her and loves her. It's the thing our hearts cry out for, to be known fully and loved utterly. And when you look in to the empty tomb this morning, either for the very first time or for a fresh time, I want you to see that Jesus knows you. He loves you. He's moved with compassion for you. And thirdly, as we look into the tomb, the empty tomb, we stoop to look in. We see that Jesus, God in Jesus, is victorious, compassionate, personal, and he's victorious. Keep looking in. Verse 18, Jesus says, I have not ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father. To my God and your God. There's that personal relationship again that we're being drawn into through the resurrected Jesus. But we're also being drawn into a relationship, a personal relationship with a compassionate Jesus, but a victorious Jesus. One who is about to ascend because he's died and risen as he promised he was able to ascend in victory and in triumph to his heavenly home. To sit down, job done, triumph, uh, vindicated at the right hand of the Father. And therefore, 
Ephesians 2 tells us every believer in Jesus is joined to this victorious Jesus and effectively spiritually sat down with him and indeed eternally physically one day so. Ephesians 2 verse 6 says God raised us up with him, Jesus, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So it's deeply personal. And it's also deeply victorious. We are joined to, united with, seated alongside a victorious, risen saviour. Sin paid for. So his victory becomes our victory. He's not only moved with compassion for us, able to draw us into a personal relationship that God becomes our God and his father, our father. He's also able to apply his victory to us. So sin is paid for. That means that all the things that we shouldn't have done that we've done are paid for. All the things that we should have done but didn't are are paid for and atoned for. The pain and shame of what's been done to us. Jesus has triumphed over that and applies that victory to you. His victory goes on and on and on. Death is defeated. It's not the end. Eternal life is available to any who would trust in the death and resurrection of Christ. We can look at this tumultuous time in which we live and we can know that there is a reason that death feels as unfair and unjust and, uh, and, and, and such an imposition. It's not meant to be this way. It's not meant to be this way. It's why we feel as we do. And Jesus has been victorious over it. Not by waving a magic wand, he defeated death with death. And rising again, ascending again, applying that victory to us. So that one day, this is how good the resurrection is, one day every believer in him can live with him in a brand new resurrected world, in brand new resurrected bodies, with and alongside loved ones in Christ. It's an amazing victory. If you look into the tomb. There's an amazing victory being won that is is available to anyone. Death does not need to be the end. The most implacable foe that humans, as much as we might try, we cannot avoid. And yet in Christ, there's a hole punched through the ceiling of death. And anyone that believes in Jesus is drawn through with him into life now and forever. It's amazing. So as you look into the tomb this morning, for the first time maybe, if you're just joining in with us, wondering what this is all about, or for a fresh time and you celebrate your 50th or 60th Easter Sunday. Know that the resurrected Jesus is moved with compassion for you. He knows and loves you personally and draws you into that with the Father. And all of his victory at the cross and the resurrection is applied to you simply by grace and through faith. And that means that like Mary, we too move from calling Jesus just teacher to calling him Lord. Did you notice how she changed her language? Calls him Lord. And it's our Lord and Saviour that we draw ourselves into. Listen, if you are just looking in, you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, we're really glad that you're here. And this is kind of the, the offer's been laid out on the table right for you. You simply need to trust in the death and resurrection of Jesus not simply observe him or admire him as a teacher or a prophet or a good person, but to name him as Lord over your life and let him take the reins. Having shown you such compassion, having done all that's needed to know and love you and forgive you personally and apply all his victory to you. If you will name him as Lord like Mary did this morning, 
all of that victory is yours. I'd like opportunities for you to respond to that and a prayer team who would love to help you in any way that you can. I'm going to hand over now to Jamie. He's going to lead us in one final song of worship. It's a wonderful song called Christ is Risen. An opportunity for us as believers to celebrate this Easter Sunday, this resurrection, and also for anybody that wants to step in for the first time into the family of God. Use this song, sing it as an act of faith, and we'll help you afterwards to, to ask more questions and to find out how, what it is to become that Christian. Bless you, King's Church. Love you loads. It is a, a joy and a pain to be able to preach to you but not see you. And I, 